if everybody's ready, here we go. All right, if you would, please turn with me to Genesis 3, verse 1, and I'll read it. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now it's interesting, you know, uh, we're going to tie this into Daniel chapter 7 here in a minute. But, you know, this, this, this phrase, beast of the field, I believe we're going to see... Um, some very interesting prophecies concerning the beasts of the field in, in, like I said, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. But we know from Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Okay, So the serpent... Uh, from the Garden of Eden, this serpent here was not a real serpent, okay? He was a glorious archangel at one point who rebelled against God. And so he's not an actual animal. And so when a lot of people read this, they get confused. But it, when you realize that the serpent was not an animal, he was an archangel. And it says here he was more subtle than any beast of the field, now you wonder, well, if there's a serpent that's symbolic of this glorious fallen archangel, then who are these beasts of the field that he was more subtle than? Okay, it's very interesting. We'll probably come back and tie that in in a bit. There are a lot of different things um, hidden within God's word that, you know, a lot of metaphors, figures of speeches, you know, the whole book of Revelation itself is uh, filled with symbolism, Things that represent other things, okay? Um, let us move on. So the topic of our study will be uh, Satan's Beasts of the Field, Daniel chapter 7, okay? You know, I had somebody tell me uh, that my YouTube channel was too political and they were going to un unsubscribe. But, you know... All I've, you know, and on that study, I can't remember exactly what study it was. I think it was a line-by-line -line Bible study. I mean, all I was doing was actually going through the Bible and teaching the Bible, yet they said, uh, oh, this is too political, I'm going to have to unsubscribe. You know, but the problem um, with most people is that they're only hearing feel-good personal salvation messages and totally ignoring a great deal of the Bible, such as Daniel chapter 7, that deals with nations and kingdoms and politics and so forth. Um, but anyways, let's get into this. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and the visions of his head upon his, and, and visions upon his head, uh, visions of his head upon his bed, sorry, then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. It's kind of interesting here. It looks like Daniel probably made it a practice of keeping a journal of sorts. You know, he had this dream. Uh, it wasn't just a normal dream. He knew it was a dream from God, and he took the time to write it down. Verse 2, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. Now, what are these four winds of the heaven? When you see them mentioned in the Bible, you can do a little word study on that. It usually represents 
a great change that is about to come upon the earth. The, you know, a lot of people talk about, uh, there's even a figure of speech that people use. The winds of change are coming, you know. Um, this, so these four winds really bring about great worldwide changes on the earth, usually having to do with politics, kingdoms, governments, and so forth. Um, you could think of these four winds as like a tornado or a great hurricane that comes in. When it comes in, everything changes and nothing is the same. Okay, um, In Revelation chapter 7, there were four winds that were told not to blow upon the earth to destroy anything until the servants of God were sealed in their foreheads. Okay, And I believe these, these four winds here are prophetically the same. Uh, if you're looking at this and you're trying to map something out according to time, uh, prophetic time, I believe Daniel 7 and Revelation uh, 7 are linked together time-wise. Okay? So anyways, these four winds come, they're, they're, I guess it's, since it's upon the great sea, this is probably uh, a, like a hurricane. Verse 3, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another. Okay? So as this, you know, figurative hurricane comes through, you see these great beasts just come up out of the ocean or out of the sea. Um, you know, and, and I can't help but think about it. You know, I look out at the world today. You, you feel, it almost feels like these four winds are blowing. If it's not these four winds or some other kind of winds that are blowing, because things are seeming to change really fast right now. Uh, like we talked about earlier, we're being forced to wear masks. We got people tearing apart our country, burning up cities. We got the Marxist revolution uh, trying really hard to destroy America. And uh, of course, we know the Marxists, the Marxists and all those groups, it's, their, their end goal is the formation of a beast government, okay? A new world order. Um, so anyways, let's move on. Oh, actually, I'm going to skip. I'm going to tie this into Revelation 13, verse 1. Uh, Revelation, the beast of Revelation chapter 13. And uh, it reads in verse 1 here. It says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Okay, so John also, he saw, he was standing on the sand, on the beach, so to speak. He's looking out at the sea, and he sees a beast rise up out of the sea. Almost identical to what John was seeing, okay? Uh, Daniel was seeing, I'm sorry. John was seeing something almost identical to what Daniel was seeing. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. We're going to see that in, Revelation, or in Daniel chapter 7. And his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. All three of these beasts are mentioned in Daniel 7, as three of the four beasts. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now this word dragon here, now, now check this out. It means the fabula, a fabulous serpent. The dragon and the serpent are one. So what do you see here? Does anybody know why I read that verse in Genesis chapter uh, 3? The serpent was more cunning than any beasts of the field. What are all these? Lions, bear, 
leopard. Those are beasts of the field, okay? Who gives these beasts its power? It's the serpent, the dragon. The dragon's the one that rules over the beasts of the field, okay? And in this case, these are symbolic of Gentile world governments, okay? Gentile dominions, Gentile powers, powers that are non-Israelites, okay? The beasts of the field. Um, all right, so we got verse 3, and it says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Okay, everybody. Uh, verse 4, it says, And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So, when we're reading, you know, a lot of people don't do this, but when we're reading through the book of Revelation and we're in the book of Genesis and we're in the book of Daniel and you see all these beasts come up and everybody, yeah, they're, you know, world governments, different kingdoms, but they never stop to think about why does God use beasts to represent them, okay? Why does he use these various wild, venomous animals as uh, the symbols of these kingdoms, Okay. Well, we could, go, we could talk about it a little bit more. Um, uh, I'll say this right now. Okay, so what's, what, what's the difference between a beast and a man? Anybody know beast and a man? So a beast, I'll just give some analogies here. A beast doesn't, uh, doesn't have compassion, okay? Doesn't have compassion, doesn't have a, you know, doesn't have a, a conscience, okay? Beasts are programmed to eat, Sleep, uh, procreate, and have safety and shelter. That's all they do. They're just programmed to survive. Okay? A lot of people are like that today. And, you know, you look at all the non-Christian peoples. They don't think of the, the greater, higher spiritual things that man who was created in the image of God was supposed to be thinking about. They, they, they only worry about base, carnal instincts. In other words, it's people who live in the flesh. People who live according to the lusts of the flesh. All I want to do is get something to eat. I want to feel good. I want to procreate and, uh, and have a house to live in. And, and they live their whole lives like a beast, like an animal. So I, without, the Holy, without the Holy Spirit and without a higher calling upon your life, you really are no better than an animal, a beast. You're just living here. And just like a beast, you know, they live and then they die. Okay, so a person who, who does not believe, a person who does not serve God, all these people of the world, they live, and what do they do? They die. They don't have eternal life. Okay, non-believers. Um, and, well, you could even go into this even more in depth. Uh, you look at the way these people, you look at some of these YouTube videos on how these non-Christian peoples act. And these riots and stuff. I mean, when I look at that, I say, man, what a bunch of animals. What a bunch of beasts. You know, uncivilized, undisciplined, no conscience. They just walk up to people and punch them and, and run into stores grabbing Nikes and pillaging. It's just a bunch of uh, wild animals. Okay? So the Bible talks about unbelieving peoples as being like wild animals. And these kingdoms are made up of unbelievers. The people that rule these kingdoms of the world and eventually the new world order are unbelievers. And they act like 
uh, wild beasts. And there's one thing, before I forget, that you're going to notice about these kingdoms as these Gentile kingdoms that have, you know, you started with, uh, well, let's start with Babylon. You had Babylon. Then you had um, Persia, Medo-Persia. Then you had Greece. Then you had Rome. All these pagan kingdoms, I mean, they are like, they were like, they uh, were like vicious animals in the sense that they're always, it's like if I was to sit in, in a jungle somewhere and watch the animal kingdom uh, fight each other, they're all, they're, they're for, they all, they just want dominance and control and, power and you know and, and all those types that they fight over their you know food territories and stuff like that that's what these world kingdoms are like they're just the the kings and rulers they're vicious a lot of them just you look at people like nancy pelosi and a lot of the democrats all they care about is power and control carnal base instinct something to serve themselves they don't really care about serving other people like Jesus talked about how his rulers of his kingdom would be, they would be, he said, the greatest among you is a servant. Okay, so he said the Gentile kingdoms were different in that they wanted to be lords over everybody. You know, I'm in control of you, I'm going to make you wear masks and I'm, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas God's kingdom, they want to promote freedom. Okay. God, the people of God's kingdom want people to be free. They want to sacrifice for the people. They want to serve them. Whereas the Gentile kingdoms want people to serve them. All right. Anyways, Daniel chapter 7, verse 4. We'll jump back here. The first was like a lion. Remember that? We talked about that. And had eagle's wings. And I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man. And a man's heart was given unto it. Interesting. It looks like this first beast started out very powerful, uh, strong like a lion and could fly like an eagle. But it, it lost its wings and it lost its toughness and then became frail. Like, like a man in this sense. Um, and many people look at these historically. Um, as I mentioned them earlier, as this lion they, they believed was Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon. Started off very powerful, got weak. And then the next beast they believe uh, was Medo-Persia. After that, Greece and then Rome. Okay, But I believe these all, whether or not they were fulfilled in type, I believe they're all yet future and they exist together at the time of the end uh, with the Antichrist. Um, but anyways, verse 5, And I beheld another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised itself up on one side, and it had in uh, three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it, Arise and devour much flesh. Okay, Again, the Gentile world kingdoms, it's all about conquering, having dominion, defeating people, and gaining power for themselves. And that's why you see here he had the three ribs in the mouth of it. These are very vicious tyrannies. Vicious tyrannies. Verse 6, I mean, you look at China. You look, you look at a, a nation like China and what they do to their own people. Um, trying to think of the, I don't know how many millions died during the communist revolution in China, but it was, it was, in the millions, you know. Um, lots of bloodshed. Okay, after this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given unto it. Okay, now who gave, we read from the book of Revelation that the dragon gave the beast its power, okay? 
These kingdoms, these peoples that make up the kingdom are people, are Satan's people. Okay? They are people who follow Satan. They are non-Christian peoples. Okay, so there was the leopard. Verse 7, And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I believe this is the future kingdom of the Antichrist right, right here. Um, the New World Order, the One World Government, all those things that we're seeing today, this is, what they're, this, is what, this is what I believe we're facing, this dreadful, terrible beast, okay? Um, this, this, this anti-Christian, tyrannical government. Um, continuing on. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in his horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and, and had a mouth speaking great things. Okay, The beast in the book of Revelation speaks great things and blasphemies for 42 months. I believe is the same as this little horn here that eventually comes up. But notice when he comes up, he tears three other kings down. So like I mentioned before, that's how the, these Gentile world kingdoms work. There's always lust for power. There's always somebody wants to kill somebody, assassinate somebody so they can be the ruler, and so on. Uh, you look at um, you know, many different nations throughout history have, have gone through these things where people murder to become the ruler. Um, verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. And the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as a burning fire. You know, in the book of Ezekiel, it describes these, these God's throne, and it describes these, these um, wheels of fire in there. I believe, you know, many people talk about these UFOs that look like these wheels of fire. I really do believe that. Uh, what many people are oftentimes seeing, they're either seeing good angels or bad angels using these things, you know. Um, but anyway, so his throne was like a fire and he had wheels that were uh, like a burning fire. This, this had to have been fascinating for Daniel to see. Imagine seeing the throne, seeing uh, God himself with all this burning fire coming forth from him. Verse 10, And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousands time, uh, times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Okay? What, this, is, I know this is a time that we as Christians all look forward to, is when real, true judgment can finally be executed on the earth. You know, right now we're all waiting. We're like, is Trump going to arrest these guys? Is he going to put them in prison? Are they going to, you know, are they going to go away? Is Hillary going to go down? You know, we're all, we're, we're always waiting for that. And it seems like none of it ever happens. Well, eventually it's going to happen. And we're going to have probably big smiles on our face, not rejoicing that our enemies are dying, but rejoicing that we don't have to put up with this wickedness anymore. Because the judgment, this, 
Uh, here, this will be the real Supreme Court. And I tell you what, there's not going to be a five. We're not going to have to worry about who's in the majority, five versus four. We're not going to have to worry about turncoats like, uh, uh, what's his name? Kennedy. Uh, him, but the other one that's a bit, that was who Bush put in there, he's the Chief Justice, Roberts. We're not going to have to worry about Roberts siding with the liberals. This is going to be a stacked court. They're all going to do the will of God. Okay, The Supreme Court is going to be um, in session. You know, And in the book of Revelation, I think we even have a, an in-depth view of what that Supreme Court looks like. It's made up of 24 elders that sit around the throne of God. And those judgment proceedings are, are amazing because... They meet there, they decide what judgments they're going to bring, and then you see the, th then you see the judgments of God poured out upon the wicked uh, from chapter 4 of Revelation onward. It's beautiful. Okay? So a true Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of the universe. And I, and I beheld then, because of the voice of the great horn, of the great words, which the horn spake, okay, very obviously he was an eloquent speaker. He was able to deceive many people. Um, this is the Antichrist. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now this is fascinating because just before the millennium, in the book of Revelation, we find out that the Antichrist is thrown, in, the beast or the Antichrist, is thrown into the lake of fire. And um, so there's a direct correlation between this uh, verse here and, and uh, the, the verses in, uh, in Revelation. Um, so in re actually, here's a, some specific verses. I'll just read them real quick. Revelation 19, verse 19, you won't have them up there. It says, And I saw the beast... And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that had received his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Okay? So the two beasts, the... Uh, Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire uh, just before the millennial reign of, of Christ. Um, you know, I'm going to mention something before I forget. You know, um, we're talking about the difference between beast and man. In all these world kingdoms, God wants to compare and contrast these world kingdoms with the kingdoms, the kingdoms of God. Okay, They live like beasts. They live for the pleasures of the flesh, whereas God's kingdom is supposed to live like a man, right? Um, when you look at uh, the central nervous system of a human being, it's very interesting. If you look at the backbone and how it goes up into the brain, the pagans even view it as, uh, have you ever heard of kundalini yoga? They, they talk a lot about the backbone as being like a serpent. When you, look at it, it's like a, when you look at a picture of it, the backbone of a human looks like a serpent, and then it goes right up into the brain, right into the head. And um, what's interesting about that is constantly what we're always constantly fighting as, as Christians. We're trying to, there's a war between the spirit and the flesh. Well, that backbone of your central nervous system is, is, is what controls your flesh body. Okay? That's where you get all your, uh, a lot of people get, you know, the pleasure, you know, wanting to pleasure the flesh. It all comes through the fleshly 
pleasure, you're hungry, or other things, um, it, it all seems to be connected by that uh, backbone, which is shaped like a serpent. And when you talk about the um, serpent in, uh, well, I'm thinking of the Lord's, when you, you think of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said that we're supposed to pray that we're not led into temptation. When the serpent led Satan out, or when the serpent uh, tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. So the point is, the, uh, the flesh is always tempting us, okay? And it just is so interesting that the backbone is, is shaped like a serpent trying to control us. He wants us to live like beasts. He doesn't want us to live like men because he is the king of the beasts, more cunning than any beast of the field. All right, um, verse 12. And concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So these different beasts that represent these different parts of these uh, Satan's kingdom, um, some of them had their lives prolonged for a season and a time. Well, when you read... Um, in the, I think it's Revelation chapter 19 or 20, chapter 20, it talks about how Satan is loosed out of the pit after the thousand years are complete, and he has one last great worldwide rebellion. He, he gathers all of these, in fact, he gathers these nations as the sands of the sea, you know, the beasts of the field. He gathers them all and tries to get them to uh, destroy God's people in uh, when they're living in the uh, uh, millennium age there. And so then God, you know, sends down fire from heaven and burns them all up. But it's interesting here, right here it says God prolongs some of these beasts. He saves them for some further time. He doesn't destroy them all. Verse 13, and in the night visions, and, uh, and I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, uh, his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Okay? Obviously, this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, but it compares and contrasts the kingdom of God as being an everlasting kingdom. Its dominion never is lost. Whereas these, these Gentile world kingdoms, uh, they, 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 you know, they rise one after the other. They fall. They get destroyed. You know, and it's just, it's just chaotic. It's, like I said in the beginning, it's like watching a jungle warfare going on between these animals that care nothing about anything but themselves and their survival. Okay? People talk about the survival of the fittest, you know, the evolutionists. That's what these world kingdoms are like. That's what it's, it, it, it's, it's like that. Okay, verse 15. Uh, and I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. So whatever, I mean, he's watching these beasts rise up and, and uh, seem like, you know, the horns were torn out of one of them and the little horn rose up. This all bothered him. This bothered him watching this. Um, verse 16, And I came near unto one of them that stood by, and I asked him the truth of all this. So he told me. 
and made me know the interpretation of the things. Okay, so what did Daniel do? Now, this is very important. If you, if you want to understand the Bible, which we all should, because we want to understand God's plan, we have to ask him the truth of different things. The Bible isn't just so simple that you can pick it up and just read it, you know, understand it your first time through. Like how many people have read over the book of Genesis and it talks about the serpent being more cunning than any beast of the field. And they say, well, I know Satan. I know that's talking about Satan. And they never even thought about who the beasts of the field were. Oh, that part doesn't matter. We're only, no, it, it, it does matter. Okay. Um, many people talk about there being, uh, and I'm not going to get into it during this study, uh, that there being, that there were pre-Adamic peoples on the earth that Satan actually uh, ruled and controlled. And it's interesting because they find a lot of old, very ancient remnants of these civilizations long ago that worshipped the serpent and in America and, uh, and elsewhere. Um, so, but I'm not going to go into that uh, in great depth. But we've we got to pray. We've got to ask for understanding. These great beasts, now he's going to explain what they represent. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall rise out of the earth. But the saints, these were the Israelites, the saints, when you, whenever, whenever you read about the saints, it's always talking about that nation that was set aside for God's purposes. You can think of it as the church today. Uh, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Okay? God's people um, will... Uh, will eventually um, overcome the beast. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was, now, now, now he's talking about this fourth beast is what really seems to fascinate him. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. So this fourth beast is so destructive. It just, I mean, it just comes in and just utterly conquers everything and breaks, thing and breaks things into pieces. And I believe that's what we're seeing arising today. Uh, the, the kingdom of the Antichrist. Um, interestingly, the um, Secretary General of the United Nations just recently posted a tweet. He says, as we mark the 75th anniversary of the UN Charter, we must reimagine the way nations cooperate. Yeah, like you know, get the beasts to work together, I guess. We need an effective multilateralism with scale, ambition, and teeth. Teeth, okay? They want the United Nations to have teeth. Okay, because the United Nations does all these things, it's involved in all these countries, but it doesn't really have the power to carry forth all of its charter, and that's what they want. And when you look at their charter, it is not a good thing. Uh, and it's public for if you want to look it up, I think you can find it anywhere. Uh, back, but back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 20. And it says, in the ten horns, this is that fourth beast, that dreadful, terrible beast, had ten horns, or the ten kings, that were in his head, and the other which came up, that'd be the Antichrist, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows, okay? Um, again, you can find Revelation, you can 
find out that in Revelation chapter 17, verse 12, it talks about the Antichrist, New World Order, the kingdom of the beast, having ten horns that represent ten kings. Verse 21, I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Okay, now that's the verse that none of us like to look at. We don't want to think about the Antichrist prevailing against the saints. Okay, so we will go through a period, the period of great tribulation, and that's what it's talking about, that Satan will uh, temporarily be uh, rounding us up, putting us on trial. Many people probably beheaded uh, and killed for, for the testimony of Jesus Christ and, um, and so on. All right. Daniel 7 verse 22 says this, Until the Ancient, until the ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Okay, so eventually we get through it and we are victorious, but there will be a time of uh, great tribulation. Verse 23, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Okay? Tyrannical one world government. Verse 24 And the ten horns out of his kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after him, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Okay? Verse 25 And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time times and a dividing of a time. So we're given into his hand for three and a half years, okay? So this is, the, this is the one thing that we have to really pay attention to. He's trying to wear us out, okay? That is the, he, the Antichrist has a long game here right now. And if he, can, if he can continually put pressure upon us, make us feel like we don't belong in society, make us feel like we're racist, biggest haters, homophobes, and all that, uh, that's what he wants us to do. He wants to eventually wear us out, okay? He doesn't want to just kill us instantly, you know, like in battle. It's, it's a long, drawn-out thing where he's trying to get you to love your life more than the kingdom of God, okay? But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. All right, so that... Um, so the beauty of that is eventually these beasts lose their power and, uh, and we take over. Now, now digging a little bit more into the nature of the beast, and I, and I think it's important, I, I don't have a lot of time to do that here today, but 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 kind of talks about it a little bit. He says, he's talking about all these, uh, these unbelievers that live according to the lusts of the flesh, and he, and he refers to them as beasts. Check it out. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. That's talking about true government and order. It's not like I despise the beast. It's not talking about that. Okay, Despise good government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They're not afraid to speak evil of those things that are righteous. But these as natural brute beasts, 
made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. In other words, Peter's saying that these, these people that live according to the flesh, they're nothing but a bunch of beasts, of brute beasts that are basically soulless, okay? They have no conscience. Uh, they have no uh, conscience between what's right and wrong. They sp everything they're for is for some evil, unclean thing. Homosexuality, abortion, uh, you name it. Uh, rioting and burning up. Uh, all those people we... In fact, I could say it's the liberals today. It's the liberals is what he's referring to here in this verse. A bunch of natural brute beasts that have not eternal life. Um, so back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. It says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Okay? All right. Now, we're going to tie this back to Genesis. Genesis is amazing. So in Daniel chapter 7, we basically saw all these beasts struggling for world power. Then this fourth beast comes up, and it just dominates everything, okay? Um, and we know that it was the dragon behind it all. The serpent was, gave power unto the beast, right? Well, look at a man's initial command or purpose was to do this. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Okay? So, man was supposed to have dominion over all of the beasts, the beasts of the field, the beasts of the earth. But what did they do? What did Adam do instead? He actually served the beast. Okay? Remember the serpent uh, in the Garden of Eden? He, he, t he tempted Eve and said, you can partake of this fruit and you'll live forever and all this stuff. And then she gave to her husband and they did eat. They submitted to the will of the serpent, who is a beast. Okay, Not a real beast. I'm talking symbolically now. So um, they were supposed, Adam was supposed to have dominion and now he put himself underneath the beast. Okay, And that's what we've been struggling with ever since the Garden of Eden. Um, we're struggling with uh, defeating or not submitting ourselves unto the beast, submitting ourselves to um, uh, world governments, uh, submitting ourselves to paganism, submitting ourselves to basically to the beastly lusts of the flesh on which all these kingdoms are built, all on the flesh, okay? So we're supposed to have dominion over that. So when you have these fleshly urges to just serve yourself, to live in the flesh, you have to think, I was created to have dominion over the beasts, okay? I'm not to submit to it. It is supposed to submit to me, okay? Some people talk about, you know, so when temptation comes, how do you overcome temptation? Well, tell the beast to shut up and that you're in control, okay? Tell the beast to shut up and that you're in control. You live higher than that. You're one of the saints. You're set aside. You're not an animal. You are a man made in the image of God. Uh, Revelation chapter 15 verse 2 uh, backs up that point here. And it says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the 
victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God, okay? So this is, this is the end game. I mean, Satan wants us to submit to the beast, the beast that he has empowered, okay? He wants us to submit to our carnal, not only to our carnal instincts, uh, but he wants us to submit to his his powers that be, okay? Um, and God's people were created to, to not, to be in charge of this. And that's, and these here are the saints. They actually overcome the beast over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now it's interesting. I'm not going to go into this in great depth. A lot of people talk about the mark of the beast. What is the mark of the beast? Some speculate, now this is just pure speculation, something to think about. If Satan's goal is to make us like a beast, and if the Antichrist is, is uh, ultimately, he's, he's a man, right? But he's ultimately referred to as the beast. Satan's trying to bring everybody to this beastly level, right? Um, many people believe that, uh, like through the force, through force vaccinations, that they will actually try to put um, DNA of animals in those vaccinations and actually be able to put it in your body and start actually, you know, how the DNA works, the RNA or whatever, starts replicating and starts changing your genetic code from a man into, a, into a, some kind of a, a beast, you know. I don't know if it would change your appearance at all or not, but some people believe that. Um, and what's interesting about that, when you look at ancient history, we, we hear about the Nephilim. We know that they came down in Genesis 6 and had hybrid offspring between humans and uh, with humans and they're the giants and so forth. There are also pictures of these people, if you look, um, in these ancient societies that were men with like the head of a dog and then or, or some other kind of animal. Some people believe that that was those were genetic manipulations that those weren't just masks or something that people put on that that these that Satan had manipulated God's creation long ago trying to pervert it trying to contaminate it and so on so this 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 could go a lot deeper than I uh, presented it but I really wanted you guys to see the connection between the beasts of the field and Daniel chapter 7 in the world kingdoms. Um, but I do have another couple verses here. Let me just see. I know I'll... We'll just read them real quick. Um, so referring to the Gentiles or the beastly men, you know, the Gentiles oftentimes were referred to as like animals or beasts. Jesus even talked to one Gentile woman and referred to her. She referred to herself as a dog and she didn't disagree. Well, it didn't mean she was a literal dog. Okay, it just means that the Gentiles lived according to the flesh. So the Israelites thought of them as like beasts because they don't have this higher spiritual uh, um, nature about them until they convert, right? But Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 says, Therefore, Jesus says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Where shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, okay? These, these were the non-Israelites or the unbelievers. He says, they all, that's all they do. That's all they worry about. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? How am I going to survive? This is your base carnal stuff here. He says, for your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of these things. 
Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Okay? If you don't live your life just constantly worrying about the things of the flesh and you serve God's kingdom, he's going to make sure you get those necessities of life anyways. Okay? So, wow, I had a whole bunch more verses. We can't go to them. I'm going to have to tease you with them. You can see what they are and look them up. But um, I'll briefly... I'll just briefly explain them. You know, so we got the beasts of the field. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. We know he controls the beasts of the field. Okay, Satan does. Um, Daniel chapter seven talks about that, and it's the same as Revelation. Uh, Ezekiel thirty-one. It talks about. I'm not going to read all these, but it talks about Satan being in the garden of God. Calls he calls God calls him the Assyrian, and he talks about there being all these other trees there, and he even talks about the beasts of the earth. The beasts of the field, here again. And he talks about how they dwelt under his shadow. And he referred to them as great nations. Great nations. So there's something, you know, um, remember when Cain got uh, kicked out away from Eden? And he went and said he had a wife. We don't know where she came from. But then all of a sudden he immediately built a city. Okay? You don't really build, uh, it doesn't make sense to build a city unless you have a lot of people. Well, many people believe those were that Cain married a pre-Adamic woman and lived among pre-Adamic peoples that were non-Adamic, and they were they believe that they were these great nations that had existed at that time. Um, that's just speculation. I'm not teaching that as a, a fact. It's just something for you to think about. So it talks about all this. It talks about Satan's greatness. Um, let me see here. Uh, let's see. We read that. Okay, it talks about him being, check that out, Ezekiel chapter 31, and you'll see that there. And I never read the last verse of Daniel 7, verse 28. It says, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cognitations uh, were troubled. They much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Okay? Um, questions or comments? <clears throat> Saints. Yeah. I mean, if that isn't how a guy feels right now, yeah. everyone like how Trump must feel. You know, that's yeah. what he's talking about. How can he keep going? Just constantly being attacked and barraged and, and constantly under fire. Every word he says, every move he makes, that would wear a guy out. I mean, I'm getting worn out. I mean, not really, but sometimes you feel that way. Yeah. Because they're just, they're coming at you from every angle. And you, you know, how do you can't even keep up with it? Right. But I thought that was interesting, but then I looked in the NIV and they used, they didn't say it would wore you out. I think my point is, is that the King James Version has the best way of putting it. The NIV said it, well, they persecuted the saints. Oh. And then the new King James uh, didn't say wear out, it said it would oppress the saints. But okay. I like the King James Version better because that's, that's how you feel sometimes. Right. It'll grind you down and wear you out. Yeah, the, uh, the, this King James Version, it's the most literal word-for-word -word translation from uh, the Hebrew and Greek to English. And, that's, and, and some of the other translations, you know, you get these board of scholars on there. They want, you know, like wear out. It can probably mean persecution, you know, if you applied it that way. 
but they, they, have, they often take the liberty to make it say what they think that's supposed to mean. And sometimes it takes away the meaning. We know that wearing out means persecution anyways. Right. But it says a lot more wearing out than if, oh, pressure or persecution. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you'll, you'll find that a lot with the other versions of the Bible. So as a Bible student, I mean, I would recommend, everybody, recommend that everybody would use the King James because of it being the most literal word-for-word -word translation. But also you have this tool called the Strong's Concordance that you can look up every Hebrew and Greek. It works like a dictionary. I got one over here. Um, you can look up every Hebrew and Greek or uh, Chaldee Aramaic word in the Bible and find out its actual definition. Uh, if you have a, if you have an NIV or something like that, this there I don't. As far as I know, there aren't any concordances that work together with other translations. Um, there probably is some. There probably are some, but the King James is by far the best way to go, I believe. Other translations sometimes help if you just want to see how they translate it. I know the NIV when I first started studying the Bible, it was uh, it was easy to read. But now looking back at the NIV now at some critical key parts of the Bible, they totally have translated the word in a way that I, I, you miss a lot. Anyways, it's hard to explain. But I know one way I used to, uh, one thing about the NIV, I believe, the word seed. Um, you know, the Bible, the King James, when the word seed is, is used, it's usually always, it usually always just says seed. And you know that that seed can refer to progeny, offspring, or literal seed out there, or wheat seed. But it keeps that same word there all, all the time so that you know the seed has many different applications. And there are many different parables in the Bible that require you to know that he's saying that word for you to make the connections, you know, the word seed. Um, but some will just say progeny or offspring or children when it's used in that way, but then it, it kind of clouds over some other deeper parables in the Bible when, when you uh, do that. <clears throat> the other thing was you were talking about what sounds kind of crazy that they're talking about uh, possibly injecting people to turn them kind of more animalistic and I don't know if you're referring to that specific video, but there was that video with Bill Gates talking to the CIA, and he's talking about dealing with terrorists over in Afghanistan, or whatever, Iraq, and just the terrorists, but he's basically telling the CIA, and you can go and look it up and see him do it, that uh, he believes that they, they've figured out a certain way in the DNA and this and that, that if we inject them with, with um, the... Uh, What's it called? What I'm just talking about. We inject the, the vaccine. Yeah, the vaccine. That they'll inject the vaccines into them, but they'll also have this thing that'll go into a certain little part of the brain, and it'll, you know, paraphrasing, dumb them down or get mm. rid of their aggressiveness. Oh yeah. And uh, that that was going to be a technique they might use. Now that that video was, I don't know, like ten years ago, or it was a while ago. But you either got to think they forgot about it, or they're actually doing it. But, uh, and obviously they were talking about using it against terrorists, which is a good thing if you could, you know. Probably injecting it in our boys. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, Bill Gates is so heavily involved in the, the vaccination thing that, and he, that fact that he had that conversation, that they have the ability to mm -hmm. do that, and they were going to attempt to do it to the terrorists, I mean, that just, that's just a realistic well, thing. Well, they are, uh, 
they're doing it even without any manipulate any you know uh, physical manipulation as well. Uh, they're doing it through uh, toxic masculinity. Yeah, you know? psychologically. So you get you get that if you tell men that it's bad to want to be like a man, then you don't have anybody. You know, you don't have strong leaders resisting uh, what they're bringing bringing upon us because the men become so uh, passive and and weak. But yeah, I think it's they're probably trying it from both angles. The the ones that really uh, are still have toxic masculinity, we got to inject them or yeah. change their brain the somehow. Fact that they can pinpoint it like that is amazing. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a a series. Uh, there was an old series long ago called uh, V, the Visitors. Well, the new one, uh, no, the old one, I can't remember how much truth was, and it's it's really weird. But um, I don't know who wrote it, but whoever wrote it seemed to be almost explaining a lot of things from a biblical standpoint. Um, like the V, the visitors would be like the fallen angels and, and so forth. They're, they are these uh, reptilians um, that are, you know, infiltrating the world and want to take it over. Um, you know, you talk... But you can't see that they're reptilians. Yeah, underneath their skin. But... Uh, one of the things, one of the things that was interesting in one of their shows, we're talking about genetic manipulation, is that they had this. They manipulated some kid when he was born, and they took strands of his DNA out because they wanted to then put something in there, into his DNA. And we don't know what that is yet. We're we're watching that s series just because it, uh, it it just seems to really. Uh, so sometimes the enemy. Um, likes to forecast what they're going to do before they do it and they do it through hollywood and i've heard many people say that it's part of a satanic ritual where they um it makes them feel more powerful if they can tell you they're doing this to you and you don't even see it or recognize it and you still can't win they feel like you know some energy you know some energy from that or something you know i don't know it's bizarre but that series really, I mean, there's this group called the Fifth Column, and it's like uh, they're the resistance against the V's. And, but you look at how the V's manipulate, they're manipulating the media, and they're manipulating everybody to hate the Fifth Column resistors. Um, and it's ex it, it almost seems to fit exactly with how the media, uh, what the media is doing to Christians today, those that are resisting the New World Order. But anyways, um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that... In that movie, they had that, that kid that had half of his DNA missing and they wanted to put something in there. When we talk about the mark of the beast and changing genetic codes. Um, we're, we're, we're getting to kind of a bizarre era of time, you know, when, when, you, can get, when you can start manipulating the, God's creation at a, you know, what do you call it, cellular, cellular level, molecular level. Um, yeah. Uh, there is there is something that's interesting in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was it two? It talks about the these same beastly kingdoms as the idol of a man, but it talks about how I, they try to mix iron with clay, and that it doesn't mix. And some people believe that that might have something to do with this intermixing with fallen angels or messing with DNA or something like that. Um, Anyways, all kinds of fantastic theories I'm throwing out there, but 
Any other questions or comments? Jacob? No? Christian Overcomers is brought to you by the tithes and offerings of our listeners. If you would like to support our ministry, please go to ChristianOvercomers.com. God bless you, and thank you for your support. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible sword.